this week's episode 32 Legion Original air date 14th of October 1993 Hello and welcome to Scuttercast number 32 This week I'm joined by Andy Hello And Anthony Hello We'll be reviewing the episode Legion after a quick synopsis read by Anthony. As Starbuck continues to chase after Red Dwarf, the cat announces a swirly thing alert. The ship is pulled into a suction beam, which takes them to an empty space station. They are soon greeted by Legion, a mysterious man in a mask. He impresses them with his knowledge and by changing Rimmer into a hard light hologram. Certain that Legion would be able to get them back to Earth, the crew unsuccessfully try to convince him to come along with them. Legion refuses, but he invites the crew to live in the station and promises to give them everything they desire. Suspicious of his motives, the dwarfers try to escape, but they are caught. In the struggle, Lister knocks off Legion's mask. It is revealed that he is a Gestalt entity, a combination of the four of them taken from their collective subconscious. Crichton figures out that the only way to stop him is to knock out the rest of the crew. After the Cat, Rimmer and Lister are knocked unconscious, Legion is reduced to becoming a duplicate of Crichton. Because the life of a human is more important than that of a mechanoid, Legion is compelled to help Crichton to carry the crew back to Starbuck. Thank you very much, Anthony, and thank you very much, Lizetta, for sending that in. The first scene starts, and, well, over to you, Anthony. Well, originally, this episode was actually going to be called I Am Legion. It's a biblical quote from Mark chapter 5, verse 9. My name is Legion, for we are many, which is a story about uh, demonic possession. Okay. Uh, Also, uh, I noticed IMDb states that Stephen Fry was the first choice uh, to play Legion, but he was unavailable. Um, now, on the commentary, Robert Llewellyn makes an observation that Nigel Williams, who is playing Legion, sounds like Stephen Fry, but Stephen Fry was too busy to play the part. Yeah. Uh, to me, it sounds as if it's a joke from Robert Llewellyn, and I wonder if that's the source of this uh, IMDb statement. I, I question how true it is. Um, I, I personally, I think it's from the commentary. It's a Robert Llewellyn um, gag and somebody has took it literally and yeah, um, yeah, sure. it's found its way onto IMDb as a fact that Stephen Fry was first choice. Yeah, possible. Because uh, he does sound quite a lot like Stephen Fry. He's, yeah, he's, he's a well-spoken gentleman. That's, yeah. you know. Yeah. Rimmer comes in into, well, they're obviously in Starbucks now, and he comes in for the 10 o'clock shift takeover. Crichton is preparing Space Weevil for Lister's food. I can only assume that they've somehow picked up space weevils from well, one of the planets they've been on or something, because if these had been on since, like, day one, then they'd have evolved at the same rate of the cat, as I guess. I bet these are space weevil. Corn uh, <laughs> fed space weevil at that. <laughs> yeah. Lister also takes over from the cat, so they're obviously just taking it in shifts now, where, to be honest, they've never done that before. I can only assume this is what happens to fill the void of Holly. They've actually got to do everything themselves. Well, I, I love this scene. One of the things that really gets me is the gullibility of the cat uh, with the, you know, the mint imperial gag. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, <laughs> at the end, as he mentions the uh, the dancing moose-shaped asteroid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to fall for that, but I'm going to look out for that dancing moose asteroid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in this also, they mentioned uh, that the, uh, they found the peanuts or what he was eating from a, a Derek space ship from months ago. 
And uh, so this means they actually do go on adventures that we don't see. Yeah, yeah. Then they also pick up items that we we uh, are new, you know what I mean? And we always think, well, where have they got that from? Yeah. So it's not <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose that explains, um, like, uh, as we mentioned last week with the pistol that Crichton got, maybe they got that. In fact, we got an email, it was on the show notes, wasn't it? From um, From Rudolph. From Rudolph, yeah, who went through and, again, I wouldn't say corrected our show notes, but he went through and made some observations of some of the questions we're asking. And as you've just said there, Andy, uh, that, that marries up what he says. He, they are okay. maybe going exploring derelict spaceships. Yeah, makes more sense, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, th- I think, as we said in the last episode, there might be a day between each episode filming, you know, timeline-wise, or there might be a week, there could be months, and obviously they're going to do a lot of stuff in between there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's busy life if it happens day after day. <laughs> yeah. The worst million, week of though. their life. Ser- yes, Series 6, the worst week of their life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the cap pops out the flight deck and he says, Hall lands on deck, swirly thing alert. And they go into the flight deck and there's this thing coming at them and they don't know what it is. This is got to be one of my funniest lines from Red Dwarf. And it's where Rimmer says, Blue Alert, we need to go to Blue Alert, and makes a really big scene about going to Blue Alert. And basically flicks a switch and this little light just flashes behind him as in Blue Alert. <laughs> You'd expect from what Rimmer's doing, there'd be sirens going and everything. It's just a little dim light bulb. It's, it's where he says, thank you, a bit of professionalism at last. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This thing that's heading towards them is almost looks like um, like a digitised fireball and it's heading straight for them. Once they notice this on the scanners, Rimmer wants to go to Red Alert and <laughs> this is where Crichton says, Sir, are you absolutely sure? It does mean changing the bulb. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, I just thought was absolute genius writing. Just something so simple. But what we, what we take for granted in a lot of the films where they go from Orange Alert to... Um, or I should say Amber Alert to Red Alert and everything, um, where this is actual a physical thing changing the light bulb. Lister says it's 15,000 G-Gooks and closing. I had a quick Google, but I couldn't find what a G-Gook was. Is it just some made-up distance? It, well, I'm saying I, I, had, I could have sworn I'd heard of it as being a, a genuine term for a length of time. Okay. Um, but I, I same as you, I, I searched and searched, and I couldn't find anything online whatsoever. So... Um, I'm pretty sure I'm getting G-Gooks mixed up, mixed up with um, clicks yeah, or yeah. something else, you know, some other term that they use. They actually do mention a different name for it in the commentary because uh, one of them asks, uh, what's a G-Gook? And the other one says so-and-so, but I can't remember what he said. <laughs> ah, <know>. okay. <laughs> At least we've done his research. That's all yeah, that it's, is. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a word that... It's just a made-up word. Right, okay. The fireball hits them. And they're surrounded by this glowing ball thing. It's it's like a, a sphere. It well, basically, it takes all the controls away from them, and this nice glow from the cockpit. Well, th- this is where Cat says um, the whole panel's deader than A-line flares with pockets in the knees. Yeah, and <laughs> as as he says those lines, um, it's it's a sideways shot 
with Rimmer, uh, with sorry, with Lister in the foreground and Cat in the background, right, um, sideways on. And if you watch Lister's mouth, and he mouths the cat's lines, <laughs> just you know, like he does in Confidence and Paranoia, yeah, yeah. He, he mouths Confidence's line. Um, he does exactly the same thing here, series six. <laughs> you can see him actually mouthing the words, the whole panel's deader than A-line flares with pockets in the knees. <laughs> <laughs> I can only assume Danny had a few troubles with the lines and it went over and over again. <laughs> Cryon says they've located the beam source and he's punching it up now. And then it goes to like an external shot, this massive space station. Surely if, the, if this little fiery ball thing was already on their scanners, then surely this space station would have been there. You're right, it looked like a building, didn't it? It yeah. actually looked like it was made of stone where they landed. Like yeah, an old, yeah. an old thing. Maybe the swirly thing was a decoy. Maybe that hid the scent. Maybe it did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next scene starts, and as you just said, Andy, the ball lands them in... It almost looks like a museum. I think they say it's a research station, don't they? That's right, yeah, but it's got all artwork everywhere. And it looks marble. Yeah. It looks like it's made out of marbles, marble stone, so I think. Anyway. It does, yeah. Lister reads from, um, you know, the old dot matrix type paper stuff. <laughs> that for, for some reason, they can now, you know, just tap into that base and it says that it's got a faulty tracking beam that's pulled them in and it brings all the specs of the actual place. So they decide to tool up and they're off on a swiping session, which again leads us to think that this is what they do on a daily basis now. They find something that's derelict and go and swipe everything. It's, um, yeah, with these that they just, right, let's tool up. You know, it's uh, it's almost a, a common thing, of yeah. routine. Yeah, 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 a matter of routine for them. The next scene starts, and they're on the base. Now, the the shot that they used, it looked like a shopping centre to me. You know, when they, they had, the, like, the green light in front of them and the glass doors and everything. It reminded... I mean, I may, may be totally wrong here, but it looked very like the shopping centre that's used in uh, Back to Earth. I'm not sure about that. I can't remember that shot. They do mention this in the commentary of what building it was, and I didn't write that one down either. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I listened to the commentary too and I <laughs> missed that one. <laughs> they was talking about it was one of the Channel 4 buildings. Oh, right, okay. Or it is the Channel 4 building now or something like that. I was, uh, as part of, obviously, you know, I've got my sites that I go to, I reference sites for the mistakes. Yeah. Uh, one of them claims that Crichton's uh, butt plate isn't fitted properly throughout this episode. <laughs> okay. Um, so, I mean, I... <laughs> I tried not to watch Crichton's butt too much, <laughs> okay. but I, I did notice it flapping about a bit in this episode. Um, so, I mean, it, it, the same site goes on to mention squeaking doors, uh, cat's necklace, the chain lengthening and shortening again, and wobbly sets. Uh, I mean, I'm too engrossed in the episode to keep an eye out for examples of the, all of these. But yeah, I, I do question whether it might just be the you know, this Crichton's outfit might just have, it might just be attached at the top. Uh, yeah. If not, there might be, I don't know, there might be a piece of Velcro missing or something like that. Yeah. As they're walking through the building, there's this ghost type figure that just goes past them. Later on, you probably, you, you find out what this actually is, but it, looks, it actually does look like it's scanning them to form. Yeah, it could be actually. Yeah, yeah it sort of answers that later on, but I thought it's not. Okay. As they turn the corner, they're met by this, this, dude he comes down in a lift you find out that 
he was this ghost? Uh, well, as I said earlier on, it's uh, Nigel Williams um, that plays this character uh, that we eventually find out is Legion. Yeah. Um, now, he had to be stitched into his costume. Oh, good. Um, yeah, it's, it were a needle and thread job. It was that tight, and he had to stay in it till the end of the day shooting. So uh, not the most comfortable of jobs for uh, Mr. Williams. No, I can imagine. I mean, to be honest, looking at it, it does look very, very uncomfortable. I mean, can you imagine being stuck in that all day? Imagine if it had been Stephen Fry stuck in that. He's even bigger, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This guy greets Crichton, and he knows he is Crichton, obviously. He greets Rimmer. Then he puts his hand in his and pulls out his hard light bee, or should say his, his light bee, pulls all the wires from it. <laughs> the thing that got me is uh, you can see that he's pulling them from under it, uh, from his sleeve, and there's just wire and wire and wire. But <laughs> I was thinking, I know we've mentioned before that the same guys who did the special effects that did um, Doctor Who, but is this little light bee like a TARDIS or something? <laughs> Where are all these wires coming from? I might sound like an idiot now, but I never noticed it was coming through his sleeve. I've never really questioned it before. <laughs> okay. It's just a lot of wire in that little thing there. <laughs> I never really thought about it. Yeah. Anyway, he takes it apart, drops this. Anyway, puts this little thing in there and he, he changes his soft light hologram to a hard light hologram. And finally, we can stop complaining about why Rimmer would be scared and why Rimmer would do this, why Rimmer would do that. Because he's now got a physical presence. Well, originally, he was only going to have the hard light for this episode. Oh, okay. Um, but Rob and Doug, uh, basically, the, the writing of the character is very restrictive when he can't touch anything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, they've introduced this hard light, and it was just a case of, oh, sod it, let's keep it. And I do think the character improves. I, th- I think it needed to change. It needed to become a hard light hologram, and it yeah, works yeah. well for you know what we get rest of this series agreed uh, especially with rim being so weasley i think it it's got a lot more effects now it can actually get harmed i mean granted he's almost bulletproof but um it will now it does now feel pain doesn't he so well that's a yeah i'm gonna touch on that in a a minute sure okay he goes to lister and removes his appendix which was quite disgusting actually just kind of slit him open and popped them out (laughs) As if he were just like, I don't know, <laughs> taking his gloves off or something. Well, he just reaches his hand into his uh, stomach cavity. Yeah. <laughs> pops it out. And, I mean, Lister pops it in his pocket, or he goes to pop it in his pocket, and I was expecting him to pop it in his mouth. I don't yeah. know why. <laughs> no, um, I, I know what you mean, yeah. Well, they mention it on the commentary as well, and that is the exact same thought that went through my head before I listened to the commentary. Was uh, oh, you know, for a second there, I thought he was going to chuck it in his mouth, just do something gross with it. Um, now, thanks for the memory. The episode, thanks for the memory. Yeah. We are informed that Lister has had his appendix removed. Yeah. And obviously, there was a big debate when this episode came out. Oh, has Lister got two appendixes? And it's one of the big things. Uh, now, a fan explanation was that in DNA, um, the machine that changes Lister back from a chicken ah, okay. created him with a second appendix. And that was taken by the fans to be a reasonable enough explanation, one they were happy with. Um, but in The Last Human. Um, the novel. Yeah, um, we are told that he was actually born with two, and he's just a freak of nature. 
Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's slightly less plausible than the fans' explanation, but, um, yeah, it works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just. <laughs> the next scene starts, and Legion walks them into a room full of well, art with, like, a nice little table in the middle of it. Crichton becomes almost like a connoisseur. Uh, I think he switched on his connoisseur chip. And he starts going through um, all the artwork in there, and Rimmer tries to get on board. Well, Rimmer says, you've got a kind of search chip. Yeah. <laughs> really amazed by it. <laughs> is, this, is this where he starts talking about the light switch? You know, That's right. Yeah. Fine lines, the angles. Uh, pray, what do you call it? It's the light switch. And, uh, oh, um, I couldn't purchase it then. No, I need it to turn the lights off and on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, Legion explains that the hard light body is the same as a living body, however, he's practically indestructible. Uh, he's still got all his senses, his, his pain and pleasure responses, <laughs> and obviously this this makes Rimmer very happy. Well, I take issue with this term, practically indestructible. Okay. All right. Now, it's so indestructible that it gets hit and destroyed in Stoke Me a Clipper. Ah, yeah. Right, which... Um, <laughs> Fair enough, I can accept that that might be a lucky shot. But then, as we go on to see the end of that episode, right, and there's literally millions of dead hard light bees. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah bloody hell, they're that indestructible. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, valid point. <laughs> but I, I suppose in there, I mean, they are all different universes. So maybe in some of them, they're still soft light, maybe. Maybe a, a lot of them never met Legion. It wouldn't have been a very good hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Goes to rescue that woman from the Nazis. He can't get on the bike. He can't fire his gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. Valid point. Rimmer wants Legion to go with them, as obviously he'll get them back to Earth in no time. And I was thinking, so, okay, so we are... I, I know the whole story arc is trying to get back to Red Dwarf now, but the the suggestion that they're getting back online to try and get back to Earth, and exactly what they're expecting to find when they get back to Earth, because it's going to be... Well, it'll be six million years away by the time they get back to it. They sit down to eat, and they've got a, a Mimosian banquet to eat, and they're having to use the anti-matter chopsticks. Right, Legion's consciousness is made up from the four main characters... Yeah. Right. So if none of those four know how to use the antimatter chopsticks, how the hell does Legion manage to do it? Ah, well, Crichton knows, doesn't he? Uh, well, barely. He doesn't do a very good job of it, does he? No, true. It does seem like he's got some memories from the scientist, though. I well, mean, he did, he did understand that he had appendicitis. Well, he can make these objects. Well, that's the thing, because he, he said he used to be a totally different person then. But they are suggesting that when there's nobody around, he just turns into just a mindless mist. So, yeah, I mean, does he retain the memories between his hosts, or...? It is a line in it where he says that his memory's not as what he used to be. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's like he can recall what the scientists was like and what knowledge they had, in, a, in some senses. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I, I actually thought of the same, and I was sat there thinking, hmm, how does that work? Yeah. That's the only way I can think about it. Okay. They they try and eat with these antimatter chopsticks. I mean, eating with chopsticks is hard enough anyway, but anti-gravity chopsticks, <laughs> they just make an absolute mess. Uh, the wine glasses are stuck to the table, and uh, they have to will it out telepathically. Now, wouldn't this mean that they had to be telepathic? If it's, te <laughs> if it's telepathically done, the glass will have to be able to read minds. Yeah. And then it would have to be telekinesisly moved. Yeah. To move the object like a liquid into their mouths. 
So when they entered the ship, did they actually accidentally gain psychic powers? <laughs> well, I, I don't know, because that's what I was thinking. It says you, and, also, you, and also down to your glass washing, maybe just think it clean. That, that's a valid point. But yeah, I mean, because if they're stuck to the table, then, I mean, what's it going to do? Just put the entire table through, like, a dishwasher or something? Or... <laughs> Oh, More yeah. to the point, how come the level doesn't drop in the glasses? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, as they're taking the drinks, the level remains the same. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost as if it was a little pump connected through the underneath of the table that was switched on by a technician. <laughs> Weird, that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, spooky. <laughs> Rimmer's suggesting that in all their travels, met thirty-one individuals, and thirty-one have tried to kill them in one way or another. Now, obviously, with this being episode 32, do you, do you think they're just suggesting that because the viewers have seen 31 episodes, that's where they got the number from? I think that that figure has got to be more than a coincidence. Yeah. Um, I, I don't believe for a second that uh, Rob Grant and Doug Naylor are going to be um, going back and working out exactly how many people they've come across that's tried to kill them and which ones they'll be able to remember and which ones they won't be able to remember you know, it, they're liable just to look at it and just go, right, we're on episode 32, there you go, 31 bloke, 31 people, and leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. You know, some, they, there isn't anybody tries to kill them, others, there's a couple that try to kill them, and it'll work itself roughly right. Yeah. Uh, I did find a website somewhere which tried to work it out of who tried to kill them, but uh, in fairness, it was a bit vague about what constituted a person trying to kill them. Right, okay. Um, now, now, the only thing... I've got to say on this is um, he claims that one of them tried to wipe them from existence. The Inquisitor. Well, this, is obvi- this is obviously the Inquisitor. Yeah. Now, the Inquisitor himself was wiped from existence. Ah, yeah. So, in so theory, they, there they was never made. <laughs> any memory. That didn't happen. There's no memory of the Inquisitor. The Inquisitor never existed. <laughs> Valid point, yeah. Rimmer does... He crosses the chopsticks, and it seems to be as dramatic effect as crossing the beams in Ghostbusters. <laughs> I was just going to say, I was just going to use the Ghostbusters reference. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love the fact that uh, we've had, you know, we're, we're into the sixth series um, of Rimmer having nobody. Right. As soon as he gets a body, we get him splattered from one direction, splattered <laughs> yeah. from another direction. His, his face gets distorted, you know, pulled right across the table almost. Right. And then right at the end of this first scene where he's got his solid body, he gets absolutely pelted with food from all directions. Yeah. And it's, it's just brilliant. I love it. Yeah. Wouldn't you have thought that with Rimmer not eating for the last X amount of years, it had just been diving into that food. What did Is he, he putting on the act for Legion, though? It could be, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like in Body Swap, as soon as he got um, either the cat or Lister's body, he was just proper gorging. Yeah. <laughs> the next scene starts, and Legion shows Lister to his cell. And everything is just well perfect. He's got like beer in the fridge, and he's got a spare pair of sneakers. He's got a untuned guitar, or perfectly tuned to Lister's ears. <laughs> and he's like, "Well, what am I going to do for company?" He says, "Well, there's a cyber park," and he says, "And you can you can recreate any one from any time, and just live out your fantasies as you want." And it sounds very, very much like a holodeck, um, as we'd seen like Star Trek. Now oh, that sounds like a good reason to stay. Well, it does, doesn't it? I mean, you've got everything perfect. Um, you've got whatever company you want, whenever you want them. It, it does sound like a really good place to stay. 
He could just retire there, couldn't he, really, and just feet up, do as he pleases. Yeah. <laughs> the next scene starts, and there's like a gorgeous external shot of the space station. It looks a very, very well done model. The back in the same room and they're having breakfast. I did, however, notice that these glasses that they couldn't pick up and use before had A, changed, and B, they had the glasses of orange in the hands or, or the glasses of the book Fizz. I'd not noticed that, not till you wrote this on here. Um, yeah. I mean, I knew he'd got the book's Fizz in his um, in his hand. Um, and I've got something to say about that in a, in a couple of seconds. Um, the thing I picked up on the commentary at this point Remember, you know how they've, we've said that previously the caster, you know, occasionally they're prone to uh, taking the odd prop home. Yeah. <laughs> well, Craig Child, behind Crichton, there's a massive picture on the wall. Uh, it's like a, a modern art face painting. It's like a painting of a face. Yeah. Right. Now, Craig Charles admits to having this massive painting on his garage wall at home. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> and he can't even remember how he gets it home. I mean, it's massive, this thing, right? How do you forget how you've got this massive <laughs> painting back to your house? And, you know, that just <laughs> really made me laugh, that did. <laughs> <laughs> Lister says when he writes his um, good psycho guide, that place is getting four and a half chainsaws. Because I mean, they are they're just stood there, they're, they're eating caviar niblets and <laughs> uh, drinking buck fizz. It does sound like a really good place to go. Yeah, I mean, I listened. Uh, I listened to the dwarf cast again for this episode, and um, apparently, uh, one of them says on the dwarf cast that this gag is repeated again somewhere during series eight about the uh, good psycho guide. Um, I can't remember it. I've not seen series eight enough to remember, so we'll have to keep an ear out for you know for that one. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, if you watch Lister closely as well. Um, the others are talking, and he's pouring himself out a drink of uh, Buck's Fizz. That's right, yeah. All right. Now, he pours his drink too quickly, and he has to pour some back in, because uh, basically the camera's going to return to him just as he speaks. Okay. And the idea is he's just finishing topping his glass up. Yeah. <laughs> he's filling it up too quickly, and you actually see him stop pouring it into the glass, pour some back out of the glass into the jug, and then have another go just so he can time it right for this uh, camera returning to his face. <laughs> Brilliant. This is where he comes up with the, I know how we can get out of here. Has anybody seen Revenge of the Surfboarding Vampire Killer Bikini Girls? <laughs> Suggests there's this quality scene in it where they're going to get him away. Now, I know I've done research for the other bits, but I actually looked into this one. <laughs> really? And I couldn't find any uh, snowboarding ones, but I could find the Killer Beach, uh, Killer Bikini. Yeah? Yeah. You can find them on YouTube. There's two of them. Okay. Oh, sorry, three of them. There's a beginning, middle, and end. And uh, it's a bit amateurish, but it's quite quite funny, actually. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> well, at the Dimension Jump, we actually had a um, surfboarding vampire killer bikini girl in the uh, fancy dress competition. Oh, of course we did, yeah. Uh, you know, this is uh, this is where the uh, surfboarding vampire killer bikini girl came from. I'm glad you wrote this down, because I won't be able to remember that title. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it down for that exact reason because I was like, Vampire Killer Bikini Girls. No, I'm sure there's more to it. No, Surfboard. No, Revenge of. Right, okay. <laughs> On YouTube, it is actually called the K- KBVG. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm thinking, I don't want to look. I don't want to look. And I know that I'm going to go and look. <laughs> yeah. 
anyway, the plan is to dress Lister up as a mannequin. Or I should say dress a mannequin up as Lister <laughs> and plonk him in his seat. But it's one of the works of art, really, isn't it? Dressed yeah, up with, yeah. a, with a nice little face <laughs> drawn on the foot. <laughs> yeah, like that's really going to make a difference. Uh, anyway, Legion comes in and he kind of gets slightly upset and just kind of knocks this mannequin piece of art out of the way. And it knocks his mask off for the first time. You then find out that he's actually a Gestalt entity. This is where the cat says um, he can't hurt us and then gets whacked. Um, did he not see Lister just get whacked and thrown across the table? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what makes him think that he can't hurt us? I've, I've um, no idea. Legion, as you said before, uh, Legion says, I'm called Legion for We Are Many, which is going back to the reference that you said. And to be honest, Legion is where the admin name came from on the Red War forum. Um, yeah. Because when when we first started up, there was multiple of us that started up and we just shared the admin name, hence why it became Legion, because there was multiple people controlling it back then. Now it's just the one. Yes. And he's a stickler for the rules as well. Oh, he's a swine, I tell you. <laughs> I'd never cross him anyway. <laughs> He stabs himself in the hand uh, to suggest that he could hack the pain. And so he stabs himself in his left hand. Everybody else sh- holds their left hand, apart from Lister, who is holding his right hand. <laughs> See, I, I noticed that. I mean, for a while, he, like, shakes both. He's undecided about which one he's going to actually <laughs> grab. <laughs> and then settles on the wrong one. <laughs> I reckon he was drunk. I reckon he'd uh, had too many books fizz in the scene before. (laughs) Um, Now, the thing is here, Legion is made up of their consciousness. Yeah. They are all still individuals. Yes. Right. Now, if one of those gets pain, I can imagine, I can see how it would be picked up by Legion. Yeah. Right. However... Their consci- you know, because their consciousness is feeding him. His consciousness does not feed them. So would pain return? If he stabbed himself in his hand, would it return to all four of them? And I... No, I guess not, that. actually. Yeah, I would have thought it's only I mean, a one-way thing. He is... It's a very different... Uh, I mean, you get a guest out... There's a guest out entity in uh, The Last Human. Yeah. Uh, which is being used to terraform a moon or something, if, if memory serves me correctly. Or that's what they wanted... I'm not 100% on that. It, it rebels. It, it's, it's actually, it ends up, it's a wild kind of uh, storm, isn't it? Like a, a cyclone almost of pure rage, uh, the rage of the wrongly accused and, you know, the innocent and what have you. Yeah. And it's a very, very different to this one. And I can't remember where I was going with that, so <laughs> I'll leave it there. <laughs> okay. Crying comes to the conclusion that if he knocks out the crew... He's going to weaken Legion. So as you've said, it's one way. So he knocks out Lister quite easily. He knocks out Cat. But he just can't knock out Rimmer. Yeah, this way he approaches him to do the Ionian nerve grip on him. <laughs> uh, which is obviously based on the Vulcan nerve pinch. Yeah. All right Now, Rimmer is from Io. That's right, yeah. Um would he have not heard of the Ionian nerve grip if it actually existed? <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Uh, just, uh, just a thought. I was, it's just occurred to me now. Um, yeah. yeah. I would imagine he'd have heard of it. 
I, I can only assume they went down and thought, right, we need some kind of nerve grip. Let's we can't use Vulcan. Um, let's use Ionian. Okay, well, <laughs> well we can't use pinch. We'll we'll use grip. <laughs> <laughs> I love the sound effect of the scaffolding pole hitting him on the head on this. Uh, yeah. It's got a nice little <laughs> ring to it on it. I like that. It's actually I'll a tell you what, is it a, is it a piece of foam that they use? I think so, I think yeah. This, I think they say on the commentary it's a, it's like foaming that they use. But it looks bloody hard. It yeah, doesn't. Yeah. It looks painful and it looks hard and, you know, no, I don't fancy being whacked around the head with that. I think a lot's to do with, as Andy said, the sound effect of it, because the sound effect makes you think, geez, that sounds hard. <laughs> it mm. does sound quite hollow and quite meaty. Well, there doesn't seem to be any flex or any bend in the bar that they use, the scaffolding bar. Uh, I mean, they do say that um, when he hits him on the head, I think it's the vase that he hits him on the head with. Yeah. Um, he hits him harder than what he meant to, and th- he was promised it wouldn't hurt and he says it did <laughs> so um you know he's already in pain from that and then he started hitting around the head with this piece of albeit fake scaffolding but yeah it, it doesn't look like the most comfortable of scenes yeah well i mean it was it, it's where rimmer's saying right let's not knock me out i'm uh, i'm allergic to being hit <laughs> and he just keeps smacking him i just made me laugh when he keeps getting the the sneaky little smacks <laughs> trying to take him by surprise <laughs> Crichton keeps smacking him over the head until he finally takes it. Well, they come to the conclusion that Rimmer has to take out his own hard light be. I'm assuming, I know he's hard light, but I'm assuming Rimmer can penetrate his own hard light. I think hard light can penetrate hard light, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm guessing um, so. <clears throat> but the thing is, I mean, the light be, it actually vanishes with him. Yeah. He pulls it out and, I don't know, switches it off and it disappears as though it's also made out of hard light. You know, if it's supposed to be a physical object, it shouldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the, after that, there's only two left. There's Crichton, and the Legion has become Crichton. He now has no malice, and he says, well, he's, he's going to help Crichton drag the bodies back to Starbuck, just as long as they stay unconscious. Crichton asks if there was anything that Legion came up with throughout his time that would actually help them get back to, or help them catch up with Red Dwarf. See here, I would leave Legion... The talky toaster. Ah, yeah, because that... Just to wind him up. (laughs) Yeah, but all you would have is two talky toasters then, wouldn't you? (laughs) Do you want any toast? No, do you want any toast? No, do you want any toast? No, do you want any toast? (laughs) (laughs) They just go, bang! (laughs) Somewhere got pop, wouldn't it? Yeah, (laughs) it wouldn't be toast. The final scene starts, and they're flying away from the station. They're all down in what I can only assume is the drive room, and they've got this big object in the middle of the room, and they find out there's a star drive. Crichton's saying, listen, it's going to work, we've got this, and everybody else is being negative, the cart list and Rimmer, and they're all saying, no, it's not going to work, it's not going to work. But Crichton's been very, very positive and acting almost like a teacher. So, now, is it going to work? <laughs> He'd been reading his motivation, listening to his motivation audio cassettes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they fire it up and this thing starts spinning round and it looks like it, it's going to, well, it's going to work. But they don't seem to have bolted it down and it blasts through a large <laughs> hole on the side of the ship. Now, this is another uh, observation that was made by uh, the Dwarf cast. Yeah. And they point out that this episode basically finishes with 
uh, a major hull breach. Yeah. Um, any other sci-fi show, that would be a major part of the disaster. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Here it's just thrown in at the end as a gag at the end of the show. It's never addressed or mentioned again. Yeah. And, you know, that's pretty much the beauty of Red Dwarf. They can do something like that. You know, we finish on this major hull breach and we're not asking oh, how are they going to get out of that? It's just a final gag. <laughs> it's just like, okay, yeah. <laughs> They'll patch you up, it'd be right. <laughs> right, and that's the episode review done. Next, the scores. This episode for me, I've always been a fan of the episode and there were quite a lot of memorable bits in it, uh, even before watching the episode again. But after watching it, I found myself laughing at many, many points, especially the... And the blue alert gag and things like that. Mim really laugh. I'm giving this a 10 out of 10. Andy? Yeah, I give this 9 out of 10. I think okay. it was a very good story. And a very nice way of like, showing how Rim is going to get his hard light. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so 9 out of 10 for myself. Very good. And finally, you, Anthony? Yeah, it's, um, like you say, fantastic episode. Um, th- like you pointed out at the beginning, there's not many scenes in this episode. Yeah, you know, that's right. It just works so well. Um, why Legion's outfit has to be tighter than a woodland dogger's wetsuit, I'll never know. You know nothing about that, would you? <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, yeah, I've gone for a 9 out of 10. I, I love this episode. Fantastic episode. Yeah. So that's um, a 10, 9, and a 9. So that's uh, 93.5%. Or 93 point. We'll call it 94%. Um, so I think so far that's the best of this series, is it? Well, we're two episodes in, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, we do tend to give 10 out of 10s when nobody else is around. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, that's the scores done. The next section is what's going down in Groovestown after a quick advertisement from TV Cream. It's wicked. I'm having a brilliant time. I can't remember the last time I enjoyed myself so much. Woo! I can. It was last Christmas when we all listened to that podcast. Do you remember? What, TV Cream's nativity scene? Yeah, the one that we did. Oh, we should do another one all about summer. What would be in it? All of this. Today we've got the very latest in chess competition. We're starting the Girls Against Boys for the Teacher's Assurance Trophy. Are you satisfied? Ladies and gentlemen, would you believe Smiley Miley on an elephant? Well, now Judith Chalmers is joined by Mr and Mrs Shaw Taylor on a Mediterranean cruise and Annika Rice on the railways of Europe in this week's edition of Wish You Were Here. Oh, would you like to swing in a star, oh yes, oh my God. And carry Miss Jones home in a jar, oh yes. Miss Jones was knocking on the door last night, oh yes. Knock, 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 bang, 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 oh yes. I finally had to let her out, oh yes. Here's Emma Cooper. Wow, that sounds great. I can't wait. When's it going to be available? Not sure. Right, I'm going to dance over here for a bit. OK. All right, dudes, what's going down in Groovetown then? All right, Groovetown. We've had an email in, in fact, it came in the day I was editing the last one, so that would have been um, two weeks, way over two weeks ago now, from um, an old friend of the show, The Denim Cowboy. He's um, highlighted a website that has a lot of facts 
about Red Dwarf. He's listed quite a lot in his email, but we'll we'll show those in the show notes for you. But there are some interesting facts. I mean, we, we had a quick look through and they were like, um, we were unsure of how much truth there were in some of these. Yeah, for example, there was meant to be a hologram of Kachansky to join the crew at the end of season one and, and little things like that. Now, again, I'm not sure how much truth there is in these. Uh, we'll, we'll post a link in the show notes and let you have a look through and make up your own mind. Well, some of them I've heard before, like uh, original casting decisions. Um, Chris Barry was originally originally going to be Lister and uh, Craig Charles as the cat and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, I've yeah. heard those ones before and then there's other ones I'd not come across before. Uh, but yeah, the link's in the show notes. Yeah, so thanks very um, much for that, Denim Cowboy. The the only official news we've got, really, since the last recording is that the official website www.reddwarf.co.uk uh, it has now announced the winners of the YouTube competition uh, the oh, winner right, brilliant. runner up video the one that they've chosen absolutely brilliant um, it, it isn't when I did the show notes where I mentioned this competition I posted a couple of my favourites up okay originally the guy that won it I originally posted that one as my favourite and then realised oh hang on it's actually somebody else was the video I was referring to Yeah, equally as good I think as uh, the guy that eventually won it so, um, but I went and changed it back so <laughs> it makes me look like a muppet now right. um, <laughs> okay. but yeah well done uh, everybody that entered Yeah, re- you know, like I say fantastic the ones that they've settled on uh, you got a nice array of uh, the characters on there brilliant okay as, as we mentioned earlier, Rudolph has posted on the show notes thread for Sirens on the uh, forum. Yeah. Uh, some fantastic observations about questions we've raised. So uh, examples about uh, questions we've raised about freezing of the light bee, uh, alterations to Starbuck, Crichton's pistol. Uh, it's, it's basically addressed questions like them. So, yeah, check that out on the forum. Uh, again, I've posted a link directly to that thread in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, I've uh, I wanted to mention something that's uh, just recently come up on the uh, over on the Ganymede and Titan forum. Okay. Basically, um, for I think it must be for a year or more. There's um, there's been work being taken place on a, an online Red Dwarf comic. Uh, when I say a year, I don't think <laughs> there's not a year's worth of work gone into the comic. It's it's been a side project that they've picked up and been working steadily on. Okay. And they finally got round to posting it. It's not ever so long, but it's it takes place. It's a story that takes place immediately after Balance of Power. So ah, it's at the okay. point. It's at yeah. It's at the point where um, Rimmer believes that Lister um, has passed his chef's exam. Uh, that's where we are at the start of the comic. And absolutely, I've, I've read it and loved it. Uh, really fantastic comic, online comic. Um, okay. Just been posted on their forum. Uh, if you check for. The thread, Songs in the Key of Files, Red Dwarf Songs in the Key of Files. Okay. Um, failing that, I've put a link directly to it in the show notes. And, yeah, it really is good. Well worth a look. It was written by Ben Padden and illustrated by Chris Carter. Okay. Now, Ben Padden actually does an online webcomic anyway called Jump Leads. Oh, okay. And Jump Leads is available at www.jump-leads.com Basically, I've, I'll put a link in the show notes again for you, but um, really worth checking out. It's a comedy, sci-fi. It obviously takes influences from Red Dwarf and along with other things. Uh, one of the main characters is called Llewellyn, for crying out loud. So, right, yeah, okay. really, really well worth a look. Fantastic artwork on it. Um, 
yeah, check. Make sure you check both of them out. Fantastic. Um, let us know what you think about them as well. I'll uh, I'll pass on any any comments we get about them, uh, either constructive, negative comments or positive comments. I'll make sure that it gets back to the uh, you know people that need to hear it. Okay, excellent. Welcome to the Parrot Spa, the place you can drink a curry-flavored tequila slammer that burns on the way in and on the way out. Parrot's Bar. I don't know, it's been kind of a, a weird couple of weeks, to be honest. I did have last week off, and all I really did was play Dragon Age a little bit more, played God of War 2, finally got that put to bed, which, to be honest, it's a load better than the first one. I mean, I was planning on having barbecues, doing a bit of sunbathing and stuff like that, but he just pissed it down all week, so <laughs> couldn't really do any of that. Finally finished... I know way back on the earlier episodes, we were plugging an audio drama that we did called Nova Babylonia, and that kind of got put on hold at episode 7. What we decided to do was, me and Tony were talking, going back about a month now, and we said, let's just get it put to bed. Let's get to the end of series series 1. So we've done, recorded, voiced, and everything, episodes 8, 9, and 10. Episode 8 went live last Friday. Episode 9 will be live next Friday. And the episode 10, the finale for the season, will be live on the 4th of June. Uh, they're all recorded, they're all done, and they're all sat on Podbean at the moment. They're just scheduled, so you won't see them until that day. Uh, but the good thing is they're done. Um, it, it was quite a lot of effort, but I think it's, I think it's very much worth it. Uh, even Anthony's been involved in it as well. Well, it makes me laugh that I made my debut in Series 7. Uh, I think it was about three or four lines, and... Um, then it goes on halt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got, uh, I think it's about three or four lines for episode nine. Well, it's, it's three lines I've done. I've done my lines, sent them in for episode nine. Um, but it, sh- it should have been four lines I did. I missed one out. <laughs> Tony <laughs> says he'll work around that. So, uh, whoops. <laughs> Sorry, Tony. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, to be honest, I did the same. I sent um, a whole horde of lines in. And he says, you missed out the first line. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> it was the first first line on mine as well that I'd missed out. So I don't know how I'd done that. I've not looked back at it, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, in this one, I, I actually play... You'll hear it in episode nine. And I don't think you'll recognise me in it. I was quite, kind of shocked because I, I did it in a totally different style because I normally do the character Ron. And I did a totally different style for this guy. And then with the effects over the top as well, I, I think you'll struggle recognising me. Uh, but you'll, you'll see that next Friday. Uh, but it's, it's kind of a major part. Okay. Right, um, I've, I've, I've been downloading a lot of my TV shows. Yeah. Because basically I've been fed up with Sky TV. Um, yeah. Every time you skip a week... Uh, you know, if you have a week off for whatever reason um, on a TV series that you've got series linked, or sometimes not even if you've had a week off, just decides it's going to drop one of my series, and I keep missing episodes. Yeah, yeah, sure. And so, really, I've got absolutely fed up of it. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm started downloading and watching at my own convenience, and yeah, you know, an hour-long show becomes a three-quarter-hour show. I've got an extra fifteen minutes, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I've been catching up on stuff that way, especially with the RSS feeds that are available now. Ah, well... And I've literally got everything, with the exception of Lost, 
I've got everything on RSS feeds, and um, it's just so much easier. And you know, I load it up to my iPod, and I can. Uh, some shows you don't need to sit and watch them on a big screen. I'll yeah, jump yeah. it on my iPod and stick it on windowsill as I'm washing the pots, and it's just freeing up so much time for me. Unbelievable. Yeah. Definitely, I think downloadable TV is definitely the way the future is going to go, and very, very soon. Well, um, I know you don't um, you don't use Twitter anymore, but I posted a blog about this um, only yesterday. I found a new piece of software. Hmm. It's called TED. It's called TV Episode Downloader. All right. And what it does is exactly the same. It uses the RSS feeds, but this has also got TV.com in there as well. So essentially you say, right, lost. And it says, right, the next episode coming up is this, and this is when it airs. Uh, the previous episode was this. I can highly recommend... I'll send you a link to the blog for you to have a look at, but it's an absolute godsend. I looked at it yesterday, and it was brilliant, to be honest. Okay, I'll do that then. Yeah. Yeah, well... Um well, last time you mentioned a couple of ales that you've been trying. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I uh, I didn't work on Saturday, so um, we went into, uh, just went around the local shopping centre, just buying bits and bobs, did us food shopping from various places, yeah. trying to save a bit of cash. And we went into, this is like a real cheap bargain store. Uh, it's an old Woolworths that's been bought out. And, oh, right, um, okay. It's got, it's real cheap and nasty stuff in there. It's called a... Uh, uh, B&M. Okay. Went in there and they've got some of the beers they've got in there. There's some decent brand beers. There's some not so nice beers. Um, but there was one that caught my attention called Ode Roger. Okay. O-W-D and then Roger has got a D in it. Ode Roger Ale. Right. I thought, oh, that don't look bad. I'll give that one a go. And it's uh, 7.5%. So it's, you know, it's quite a strong yeah, ale. Yeah. Uh, so I picked it up, and um, it's not too bad. It's it's very much a brown ale. It's very similar to Newcastle brown okay. ale or yeah, something yeah, sure. like that. Um, so, yeah, quite enjoyed that. Uh, not great, not fantastic, but okay. Yeah. Um, now, when we, we finished off at Morrison's, got his last bit at Morrison's, and I noticed I'm a, a, I don't mind cider. I quite like cider. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite ciders is Gamers. Okay, yeah. Uh, I like Gamers and I like uh, Bulmers. Uh, now, Gamers has got one on offer called Gamers Fruit Cider. Okay. And it's basically, it's pear cider with summer fruits and it's black currants and uh, blackberries and stuff like that. Okay. I know I the thought, um, the pear cider is really nice. It's it's all right, but I'm not um, I'm not mad on pear cider. To me, it's uh, it just tastes like a weaker uh, apple cider. I prefer to actually have the apple cider. Okay, taste. yeah, fair game. But... But yeah, it's it's it is. It's a nice it's a nice drink. So I thought I'll try this one. It's a, you know it's pear cider with um, berries, summer berries. Okay. All right. Bloody horrible. <laughs> oh. really? It's um, it's like it's it's like an alco pop, and it's just really strong with black currant and and just like a really um, sweet taste, is it? Or I tell you what, it tasted like. Remember when I was mixing on when we had that Twitter. <laughs> drinking and I was um, I was putting Robinson's summer fruits in with, and I was um, pouring that into cans of Strongbow because cider should never be drunk from a can yeah 
and it tastes like that, but worse, more sickly, and more horrible. Right. <laughs> okay. It sounds. I think lovely. I was adding. I was adding lager to it as well. One time, um, skull or something <laughs> cheap like that before. Yeah. But yeah, it it tasted like that. Absolutely vile stuff. To call it cider is a travesty, and I don't know what gamers think they're doing with that. It, absolutely disgusting. Right. Okay. Not uh, your palate, then. No. Well. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to mention it. I've, as you see, I've just popped it on the show notes now. I thought, uh, I thought I'll put it on there and just warn people not to bother. <laughs> God, drink white spirit instead. We're <laughs> <laughs> not going to game a sponsor, are we? <laughs> no, <laughs> not fruit cider. Where, whereas the gamer's cider itself, the apple cider and the pear cider, lovely stuff. Can't yeah, go wrong. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Other ciders are available. Yeah. <laughs> Other cider manufacturers are available, yeah. <laughs> this week's podcast of the week is, as you heard from the trailer earlier, it's TV Cream Podcast. And over to you, Anthony. Yeah, um, this is one I just happened across on a, an iTunes search. And... Uh, I just saw it. I think I was just clicking listeners also subscribe to and I click one, then another, then another. I was just looking through and the sort of spotted this one and it really caught my eye. Okay. Um, I can't remember which one I saw it under, uh, how I got there, but I'm glad that I did. Now, there's only 10 episodes in all. Okay. And five of them have been released since April. Um They've been a funny look back at previous uh, uh, previous elections. Uh, five have been released since April, uh, which are taking a, f- a humorous look back at uh, previous general elections. Okay. Um, basically, what it is, it's a um, it, it's it's a nostalgic podcast that looks back on the golden age of TV. Okay. Um, now I would say it's what I've I've wrote I've actually written down it's a fantastic tongue in cheek look back at gone ages of TV uh, in particular the seventies of eighties but it also doesn't stop there it's stuff from the sixties it's stuff from the nineties uh, I get the impression the guys that do it might be a couple of years older than me uh, maybe as much as five years older than me but you know in the same ballpark yeah sure. I, it's a very, it's got to be the most professional sounding podcast I've heard. Um, it sounds more professional than a lot of the BBC ones that you actually hear out there. Oh, and right. I could quite easily imagine this being broadcast on a late night BBC Radio 4 show. Right. Um, and like I say, there's 10 episodes in all. Um, the five that's been released since April all are taking a look back at previous general elections. Um, there was four that were released last year. They only released four. Uh, one was the summer scene, which was just looking at summer TV. Yeah. One was the nativity scene, which was looking at Christmas TV. Bearing in mind, this is Christmas TV through the ages, you know, and what have you. There's, uh, there was songbook, which I think was uh, theme tunes, if I remember rightly. And there was one looking at sci-fi TV. Yeah. And then there's one episode from 2008, which was focusing on uh, music of the time. And it's just really, really humorous. They're done in little, um, it's like a little report. And one guy will do his report on this particular theme. And then the next person comes in with his report. And the way it's linked together, really fantastically, you know, really, really entertaining. Okay, brilliant. And what you get, I think the, the best thing for me is actually the 
the background music that they use, and yeah. you'll you'll get a bit of a theme tune from this song, from this program or that program, and everything you hear, you think, um, oh, I remember that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, what was that called? What was that from? And yeah, it's a proper. It's what I like to call a nostalgic podcast. It's really amazing stuff. Um, brilliant. So you, you can actually listen to that at um, www tvcream.co.uk okay um, which is an excellent site on its own with um, reports and news stories there's loads of stuff going on on there um, you can also search on iTunes for TV Cream Podcast okay uh, like I say it's an infrequent thing that they come out it's easy enough to keep on top of yeah um, sure. so yeah yeah worth uh, checking out fantastic that's it for this week If you want to come and join us on the forum, it's reddwarfforum.com. If you want to find us on Twitter, it's twitter.com forward slash reddwarfforum. If you want to send us an email, it's scuttercast at reddwarfforum.com. And finally, if you want to find us as as a group, um, if you want to get your hands on some of the Nova Babylonia and uh, like the Eccentricast and other projects like that, you can find us on Facebook under Fiction Shed. Uh, just search on there, you'll find us on there. There's an RSS aggregator on there which brings all the feeds through. Okay, well that's it for this week. We'll be back in two weeks with the episode Gunman of the Apocalypse. So, until then, see you then. Bye. Bye. See you later.